I truly did that thing of like asking my inner child, when was I happiest? And my happiest was always ages 13 to 15 on stage singing and dancing. And I was like, okay, well, we got to figure this out somehow. Hello and welcome to The Mental Game of Musical Theater. I'm your host, David Eggers. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Mental Game of Musical Theater. I'm your host, David Eggers, and I'm super excited to have with me a dear friend from many years ago who I got to meet while she was working with my husband and then we got to work together a couple of times and she is still doing that thing on Broadway. With us today, my friend Jackie Arnold. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Jackie has done some regional, some tour work, some Broadway work. I don't even know about on-camera stuff, but I imagine she's done some of that as well. A long time ago, we met when she was doing Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, first in Toronto and then on Broadway. My husband was in that show with her. I got to work with her in a show that we kicked around regionally a little bit called Diner the Musical. Yay! Uh, <laughs> yay! <laughs> Wish that had really happened. Oh my gosh, Cheryl Crow's score, I love. Yeah. Oh my God. So good. It was awesome. She did Mighty Real, Fabulous Sylvester Musical off Broadway. That was in 2014. Mm -hmm. She has done Shrek regionally. She's done Hairspray regionally. She toured in Hairspray, We Will Rock You. Yeah, I think it started in Vegas. It ran in Vegas for a long time. And it is a book show, but it's all put to Queen music. And Love it. It's, it's a fictitious kind of almost fantasy kind of storyline. Mm. I toured with that for like a year and seven months or something like that. And then Moulin Rouge. And then Moulin Rouge. Yeah, she's in that now. <laughs> she's been in it for quite a while. I think yes. since the beginning, if I'm yes. right. Yeah. You are One correct. of the few probably who are still there. Yeah, there's five of us. That's it. Five of you. Wow. What an impressive resume you have. But I always like to say that where we have all these credits now on your resume, at one point, those weren't there. Let's go back in time. How did you get started? My story is a little bit crazy because I wasn't into it really young. <laughs> to be very honest, other than a movie musical, I actually did not see my first live musical until I was 23 years old. I grew up in Los Angeles, California. I started performing professionally middle school age. I was like 13 the first time I got paid for a professional gig, which was one of my teachers at Bancroft Junior High School in LA. She knew I could sing and she was like, hey, do you wanna come? And I'm gathering a few students to come to this big Christmas party, basically for her sorority. And they just had kids perform. And they wow. paid me like $300. I'm 13 years old. I was like, sweet. Um, yeah. <laughs> I sang a couple of Christmas songs and that was Amazing. it. So technically on a, you're a professional when you get paid level. I was yeah, like, yeah. and then I became um, a studio singer. I was a demo studio singer from the ages of 13 till about 17, 18. Oh my gosh. Where um, my best friend's dad at the time was very into the music industry. He was actually kind of music royalty and they had a studio and he wanted me to be a demo singer for most of the women that they were writing for. So I sang demos at age like 14, 15 for like Whitney Houston and Faith Hill. And for those no of you way. that don't understand what that means, it means that Writers will have someone 
sing their song in a in a demo form and then they will shop that to the high profile artists and if they liked it then they'll go ahead and take the song and buy it and they end up recording it if they're not writing it themselves wow so I did that all through junior high and most actually through high school as well so my hours of late night have been my whole life <laughs> <laughs> Wow. For those who don't know, your voice is like stupid, wickedly amazing. <laughs> and I, and it so doesn't surprise me. I'm so glad that your best friend's dad like recognized what you had, even at that early of an age. Me too. Because I don't think that I would have had other opportunities that kind of pushed me along in that regard. Like I knew I could sing when I was eight. And the reason I thought I could sing, David, was because I was in the backseat of my mom's car. And on the radio, there was a duet by Peaches and Herb called Reunited. And I thought I could sing because I could sing both parts. That was what it was in my mind, right? Not really acknowledging whether I was in pitch or not. I knew it didn't sound bad. And then I got into chorus at age eight. And that's when they started telling me, oh, you actually have a voice. And mm -hmm. I didn't, I grew up Catholic, so I didn't grow up in the church in that, in that kind of way, you know. Um, and my mom, she wasn't a stickler about church or anything like that. Um, my parents were divorced, and I guess the tale goes that my father was like, let her make up her own mind. That's all I request. Mm. And she did. She allowed me to find my own spirituality and what have you. But through all, all of that, music was always in my house. I came from, my mom was one of seven. So I grew up with plenty of cousins and stuff. So we did have big parties on Fridays or Sundays. You know, we had fish fries and they're all from New Orleans, Louisiana. And everybody sang and partied. So musically, I was very much so enriched in my life. But I think a lot of people are and they don't find the ways in order to make it a profession and a career because i actually out of high school i was going to go to college and study to be a lawyer you were i was this probably would have shocked eric but <laughs> <laughs> yeah i definitely was on the lawyer path like i got wow. into clark university and my i was going to be a law student and then something just happened and I panicked about going away to college. Okay. Like, as an only child to a single mom, I was like, I'm not ready to go. I was dating a boy and didn't want to leave at that time also. Uh -huh. Just silly, okay. silly teenager. <laughs> and so my aunt, she lived in Lancaster, California, and she was like, it's slower here. There's a great community college, but you have to do something. But you can live here for free with no problems, but you have to do something. And when I went there, this is when all the doors of what I could do started to open for me at a little community college in Antelope Valley, California. It's called Antelope Valley College. I went there to get all of my general credits out of the way. Okay. And while I was there, I, I've always been very much so about balance, right? So if I'm going to study hard, then I need something that makes me feel good as well. So I honestly, I got into a dance class. I took a dance class as one of my electives and my dance teacher was like, what is going on? Who are you? Because mm -hmm. everyone there is small town, right? So they all knew one another. And here comes this 5'10", you know, 
black woman at 20. Well, I guess I'm, yeah, I must've been like 22. Cause I waited a couple of years. I took a couple of gap years, kids. Um, <laughs> she was like, you should audition for the musical. And I said, okay. And the musical was Oklahoma. And I'd never done a musical. I'd never seen a musical. And they were like, but you also have to sing. And I was like, okay. Then I sang and I got in, but I was in Oklahoma. My first musical, I was cast as a dancer, as one of the core dancers. And they were like, hold on, you can actually really sing. <laughs> and they put me in this class called Test Flight. And Test Flight was like, kind of like a garage band, but it was a little more structured and we did a lot of covers and we did a lot of presentations of our stuff. And then it started developing, like how good my ear was for harmony. I could really sing in a lot of different styles. You know, at mm -hmm. one point, I don't know if it's true now, I probably had like a three octave range at some point. Um, I haven't tested it recently. So that really <laughs> developed my singing and that's when I found the love of musical theater. I I went to with my acting class to see Ragtime the tour and they were at the Amundsen and it just struck me in so many ways, right? You, of course, you have the three different ethnic groups, groups of, of people. people. Mm -hmm. So I had never seen black women on stage. And the woman I saw her name playing, Sarah, was um, Deidre Lang, which okay. later in life, when I start working professionally, we became really good friends. And she Aww. was on the road with Hairspray for a really long time. Oh, um, amazing. And so that was crazy. That made me a little bit starstruck, right? I was like, oh my yeah. God, kind of the reason I'm now doing this. And I remember leaving the Amundsen and looking at my professor, Rick Romer, and going, I never knew I could do this. All three things that I love and make money at it. And he was mm. like, are you kidding? And that's because, you know, inner city kid, I wasn't really exposed to a lot of theater. Even though I was in the magnet program, and again, for those of you who don't know what that is, you apply to different schools in your school district, but not necessarily in your area that have a concentrated major. Um, and I was always performing arts, and they didn't take us on trips like that. You know, even though I went to school in Hollywood, and then I ended up in, at Van Nuys High School, we were adopted by major news stations. They didn't send us on trips or anything. The assumption was that we already knew of all those things. But I was mm. one of those kids who just didn't know. And when I saw that, my whole perspective changed. And from then on, Rick was like, so we're going to get you ready. And you're going to audition. Sometimes schools get together and they have like almost like a conservatory of auditions. And I remember a girlfriend of mine, we went up to San Francisco. And at that time, we were auditioning for UCLA, Carnegie Mellon, Juilliard, Michigan. But it was just like whipping them out, you know, in two yeah. days. Yeah. And if you got a call back, you came back to sing or dance, but you initially started everything with a monologue. I left there with some pretty great high praises. Um, mm -hmm. Juilliard basically was like, we can't teach you anything. You should probably just come to the city and work. Wow. And I was like, okay. Carnegie Mellon, they were kind of the same thing. I got into UCLA musical theater program, but luckily they let me take a hiatus and I, because I got a job in New York and I left. And I never what went. around that same yeah, time. Yeah, like around the same time. Yeah, I was meant to start in the fall of '98. In October of that same year, I got a call from Bernie Telsey's office because I had 
auditioned for Rent in an Adult Ball. I mean, that's a story in and of itself. They were like, we need you to come and do, are you able to do a new show called Bright Lights Big City that was premiering at New York Theater Workshop? And I okay. said, sure. And I worked at Applebee's as... <laughs> a waitress mm -hmm. and I was a model for the art classes at Antelope Valley College. I mean, I hustled and I saved all my money and I moved here. So UCLA had given me, I feel like it was a two year hiatus, but I've never gone back. I moved wow. to New York, December of 1998 and I've only ever lived in California again for a year and a half. Couple things that you brought up that I want to go back over. First of all, so you moved here with the job. At the York. I moved here with a job. Now, Amazing. let's be clear. That job that... paid about $600 a week, and I thought I yeah. was making good, good money. Mind you, my rent to share with two other girls at that time was only $412. Now, <laughs> was my room a fraction of the room you're in? Yes, it was yeah. like the size of a bathroom. But I slept on a twin size futon. That's what oh, was in there. Oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But how exciting to come to the city with a job. But I can't let it go that you said your audition for Rent was a story in itself. Yeah, so <laughs> Rent, no one kill me, okay? I just didn't grow up musical theater. Like I said, I grew up in the studios singing pop and R&B and whatever you needed me to sing. I get with all these theater kids at Antelope Valley College and they're looking at me like, what is wrong with you? You know, of course it's 98, right? Rent came out in what, 96, I think? So they're like, how do you not know the hottest, most poignant musical for our age? And you, you should also know, like, at this point, I'm like 23, 24, and they're all 19, 18, right? right? So there's a little bit of a difference. I was dating someone, and her mom called and said, hey, I just saw in the LA Times that they're having a massive cattle call for rent in Century City. Jackie should go. It's like midnight. And I will paint this picture for you. I've got a short bob. I it is bleached blonde, like oh, I love bleached. <laughs> it's basically cotton, but I have like an inch of roots. So we were just all hanging out, and Katie happened to be a photographer, like an amateur photographer. And she's like, "Okay." I said, "Well, I don't have a headshot, and I don't even know what you're like. I kind of knew what you did in auditions, just from auditioning for the school play and stuff." But she's like, "Okay, we're gonna take this picture." So I put on, wait for it, a leopard print jacket. So now I'm like matchy matchy, my hair, my skin, the jacket, everything. <laughs> and I'm in this leopard print jacket and we take this picture and I've got my hair all slick. It's the craziest first headshot you ever want to see. And we take Where's that it. picture? Where's that oh my picture? God. I know, I think Katie has one. I don't know if I still have one. And it's like thumbnail size. So we go to FedEx Kinko's. <laughs> and we just put it face down on a printer on regular old cardstock. It's blurry as all get out. And that's what I took to this audition. Like, hey. And mm -hmm. I have like no resume. Everything on the back of my resume basically is just community theater or college theater. And the, the lineup started at 8 o'clock in the morning. I got there at 8.01. And at 8.01, I was number 1,501. <gasps> what these kids came to play and 
I mean, people were decked out, dressed as characters. And I was like, I don't know where I am. This is crazy. I didn't know what to say. So they came through and they just typed us out. Oh, they really? just totally were like, you could be a Mark. You could be a Joanne. So I got picked in that. And I walked in and they said, okay, show us what you got. And in a bathroom, I stood in a bathroom stall while they stood like at the sinks. Cause this was in a nightclub in Century City. Like the toilet is behind me. And I sang, <laughs> I don't care how you get here, just and they moved. They were like, great, next. And they sent me through to callbacks off of eight words of Get Here by Brenda Russell. What? Yeah. And then <laughs> I go and they give me sheet music. And I was like, ah, okay. I'm not the greatest of sight singers. And I didn't know the music. I knew a couple of songs because all my friends listened to them. And I was like, right. sure hope it's one of the ones I know. So they gave me your We're Okay and Take Me or Leave Me. I didn't know we're okay. I went back home. I studied and listened because I had to go back the next day by 10 a.m. Mm. and be able to sing. I went through five callbacks total oh for God. rent. And in the midst of that, my hair was changing every day. I mean, it was crazy, right? <laughs> I was in that phase of life. Then it all kind of got quiet. It was just over because this is like summer. And then, yeah. like I said, come October, Heidi yeah. Marshall, who was working at Telsey and was primarily on rent back then, called me and said, while you did not get rent just yet, Michael wants to see you and see if you can do Bright Lights Big City. And I, I nipped at it. I was like, yep, I can go. I'm ready to go. Number 1501. Mm -hmm incredible and a great example too of leading with your passion going along for the ride and doing your thing you weren't trying to be anybody else i didn't know anybody else to be you know what i mean i just was like okay this uh -huh. is what you want me to do and i did have a little talk with myself i didn't know what i wanted to do in life i didn't know what my professional career was going to look like in any aspect, I knew it was no longer me being a lawyer. I truly did that thing of like asking my inner child, when was I happiest? And my mm -hmm. happiest was always ages 13 to 15 on stage singing and dancing. And I was like, okay, well, we got to figure this out somehow. And this is what happened. Hey, this is David popping in here to let you know I'm also working on a book all about the mental game of musical theater, and I'd love for you to check it out. Head over to profeggers.com. That's P-R-O-F-E-G-G-E-R-S.com for information and to be one of the first to get your hands on this book. It's going to help you as you prepare for, pursue, and build your career in musical theater. I appreciate you checking it out, and I appreciate you being here. So let's get back to the episode. After the York, like what was your next big break or contract? It actually was rent. We finished Bright Lights Big City to less than rave reviews. And <laughs> um, a lot of it, you know, they thought the company was really talented. And this was back in the day, y'all, when you had to wait for the actual paper to come out. I really did have that wonderful New York moment with my cast in a diner picking up all the papers and reading and us being like, yeah, no, nah, can we get drinks? Cause this is trash. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> so we closed and I had to get a nine to five. Yeah. And New York can be pretty ruthless, even with waiting tables, right? They want you to have New York experience, but then they don't want to be the one to hire you. Um, <laughs> right. And so I got a job at cafe Europa across the street from 
Carnegie Hall. I worked there for a little bit and that was really good money, but it was crazy hours. I was getting home at like four or five o'clock in the morning all the time. And then I took a vacation. I went back home for like two weeks and in line to come back to New York, all the computers went down at American Airlines. I mean, for nothing, but Sigourney Weaver was standing next to me and I was like, Whoa, no way. what is happening, right? Of course they push her through and what have you. And so I think, oh, I'll just check my bag at the gate. But I had this massive duffel bag. like, And like I said, I'm 5'10". I could get in that sucker. But I didn't <laughs> realize that you couldn't like pull that through. And they were like, ma'am, your bag's too big. And I was like, oh, okay. So luckily, my friends who dropped me off at the airport, they were still sitting out front at LAX deciding what they were going to do for the day. And I happened to just walk out there to use the payphone to call and have someone come pick me up. I said, wait, you guys are still here? And they were like, yeah, what's up? I was like, I guess I'm not going back today. So we threw my duffel bag in the back of Katie's car. And me, Katie, and our friend Danny, Danny called her mom and was like, hey, can I use the credit card? I think me, Jackie, and Katie need to go to Mexico. And so the four of us took off and went to Mexico for four days. Oh, how nice. On Danny's mom's credit card. And when I came back, I had messages. My ah. mom was like, people are calling you about, but this is before we all had cell phones like that, right? right. Bernie Telsey's office had called and asked if I could come back to New York to sing for Tim Wilde to see if I could be in rent. Now my hair is like, I wanted it to look like the ocean. So it's all the blues and all the greens, and it's really, really short, kind of pixie cut. And I was like, oh, shoot. Do I have to dye my hair or whatever? And I had no money. Danny's mom was like, you can buy the tickets on the credit card. Amazing. And if it weren't for that woman, I probably never would have gotten rent. And Danny came with me, and we stayed in some basically roach motel for two nights in the 30s. And if you've been to New York, <laughs> yeah. you know. 30s is not it. I went in and I uh, immediately I apologized to Tim for my hair. He goes, I don't care what you look like. I just want to hear you sing. Awesome. And I sang and we got on the plane Wednesday morning. By Wednesday evening when I got back to LA, they had called and said, can she be ready in two weeks to join the tour in Chicago? Fantastic. And I had no agent. This is all from an open call. I was doing a production of A Midsummer in Lancaster and I they had to hurry up and recast to Tanya and they were like bye go Every, I had the best support team of my chosen family and friends oh. and they were like see you later and I took off and I went and I met them at in Chicago and I learned the show in two weeks because Danielle okay. Greaves had decided to leave so Wow. That was a crazy whirlwind. Thanks yeah. for making me remember that. You need to remember where you came from. And so you got to tour with Rent for how long? Oh my God, remember? almost two years. A year and 11 months. I did the right. second national tour. And at that time, that's like full production contract. Oh right? yeah, most definitely. Yeah. And in the midst of all that, Bernie Telsey's office was so kind. They helped me find an, an agent. And I went out on that tour and I learned a lot, let me tell you. I was a singer. But I never had to sing eight shows a week like that. Yeah. And I think in that year and 11 months, I probably missed six months of performance. Really? In almost two years. Yeah. Just cumulatively, like I didn't know how to sustain my vocals for mm. that. And I was singing like right on the break of my voice for most of the time. I mean, you can hear my speaking voice. I sit relatively low. I just didn't know how to utilize my voice. So it took a toll. I learned a lot on that show. Uh, how to tour. Oh my God, so many things. That was like, a, uh, in some ways, a really important training ground for you. It's oh, yeah. 
big time. Yeah, I have heard your voice. I didn't get to see you in Rent, but I have heard your voice in <laughs> other shows, and I know what an incredible instrument it is. So for you to have gained that experience and that much vocal knowledge. Oh, yeah, I got three nodules on that show. I was out for three weeks of total silence. That scared the living crap out of me. And that, that mental of it all, I just cried and cried and cried. But at that point, it also made me realize I really loved doing this. And I was willing to do anything I could to ensure that I would be able to sustain this. Mm -hmm. I could talk to you about every one of your shows that you've ever done. <laughs> Because I'm fascinated. Everyone would be mad at me if we didn't talk about Moulin Rouge. We said earlier you were part of the original company of that. Yes? Yeah, I actually did the choreographer's workshop. Again, those who don't know, choreographers also have to audition. I had been on the road with We Will Rock You with a guy named Fred Odgard. And he has always been one of Sonia's dancers, okay. Sonia Tai. She said, I need at least four, if not just one person who can sing Lady Marmalade. And he was like, I know who it is. She's been mm -hmm. singing this song as a solo her whole life. And this is after Priscilla. This is like 20... 16 I think and so we did like maybe two weeks of rehearsing and we basically put together the opening number of the show and when I got in there I realized there was no one to help the rest of the cast learn the music and I was like I'm happy to help so I ended up vocal directing her audition in a sense later on after I'd gotten the job Alex Timbers came to me and said I was the first lady M cast he was like uh -uh. from that moment on he was like that's who La Chocolat is. That's who it's going to be. Oh, wow. I've been involved since 2016. And oh, I've gosh. done every incarnation of the show. How many did it have? So we had that, the workshop. Then it was like, I don't know, however many months off. Then we went into a lab. Not a workshop. Different. Read your equity yeah. handbook, people. <laughs> we did a three-week lab. It was long. But it was what like that? a straight up production. Like they brought in lights and all this stuff down at the Clemente Theater on the Lower East Side. We could have charged for it. Wow. That's when Baz Luhrmann got involved. He was there to, you know, say what the story's really about and just sort of help out. And so then we did that. That did really well, which then gave it two more readings, table reads. I did those. And then we went to Boston for our out of town premiere. And then mm -hmm. we came to Broadway. Then COVID wow. happened, and then we re-came to Broadway. Yeah, exactly. Came to Broadway mm -hmm. twice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a long journey. So it opened first in 2019. Correct. Right. And then COVID shut it down in 2020. And then we reopened 21. For me, I think this is kind of the dream. Like, you've got a solid gig. You're working. It's a, it's a hit show. Mm -hmm. People are clamoring to get tickets still. It's got the momentum. It's got the reputation. It's got the awards. It's got the press. It's got, it's got everything going for it. What a fantastic thing. That to me is like the dream. But for some of my folks who are just like getting started, they're probably wondering like, how do you do the show eight times a week for years on end and still enjoy it or still, right. you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, it's funny. A young woman just asked me that, this at work. Oh, really? Sunday night. She's one of the ensemble women. She was like, I just want to pick your brain on this. Now, she's done other shows, but she only did them for short amounts of time. Mm -hmm. And seeing that there are still five of us there, her question is that, how do you guys keep 
doing this for so long? Quite frankly, that answer is gonna be different for every person, right? My answers go a little like this. One, while theater is meant to be the same show every night, that's in a structural sense. You obviously have to have presence and acknowledgement of being in the moment. So therefore every day is a little bit different. And with a show like Moulin Rouge, to be very, very frank and honest, while the dance is utterly stunning, it takes a toll on your body. Our staging is different than what you might've seen on the tour. We have this, a pass around with multiple different layers. So just even moving quickly, even your youngest of dancer up and down stairs or drops and rises that way eventually can take a toll on your body. You're also dancing in three inch heels generally and you're kicking your face. However, I think the Can Can Girls do something like 15, 20 kicks just in the opening number. So your physical is exhausted, but you find the audience plays a big part in this. Audience members, you all should know, we rely on you all for a lot of things. Yes, um, indeed. We, we like to feel your energy, not you talking on your phone, but your energy. Um, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and it means people are out. You have to be on your P's and Q's. You have to be aware of what's going on around you. Or it's somebody's first show. They're new. They don't know. So all these things play a factor into mm -hmm. how you do this sustained for so long. Now, when it's really nice and everybody's just there all the time, you then find different nuances in the text. Even if you don't have anything to say, you find new things. It's listening is massive. Acting is almost all listening and responding. That's literally all it is. I don't mean to oversimplify it, but that's yeah. the facts, right? Yeah, you're right. So you're looking at how Eric Anderson might play Ziedler different than Danny Burstein did. But you're like, for me, I'm interested in seeing how they each came to these conclusions of this character. Mm -hmm. And for my character, what does that inform for me? Because I have a lot to do with those guys. So how do I respond to him? So it's not the same every single night. Yeah. On top of that, then you have all your friends. Shows are closing left and right. The way that I am grateful that I have a job to go to and an audience to perform for, because there are some shows that are open and there's hardly anybody in there. That's and they're right. looking at closure lingering like a dark cloud over their heads. I'm grateful for that. And I think of it as, sure, I have to show up and do my best for today. No one is asking any of us to be, and this is a misnomer I'm trying to dispel in musical theater. There's an idea of perfection that is completely unattainable. And your own personal idea of perfection is what really matters. Today, my back is killing me and I might not be able to hit that second plie as low as I usually do, but I'm giving you the 100% that I have today. That is not to say that I'm checking out and only giving you about 75 because that's not the facts. The facts are is I'm giving you as much as I have for the day. Love that. Download part two of my conversation with Jackie Arnold now. Hey, thanks for being here today. If you enjoyed this episode at all, please take a moment to leave a review with high marks. You wouldn't believe how much a positive review helps this podcast to reach more people. Then head over to profagers.com to check out my book, all about the mental game of musical theater. And lastly, no matter how you spend the rest of your day, bring enthusiasm to it. You only get this day once, and life keeps getting better and better when you bring enthusiasm to everything that you get to do. Thanks again for spending part of your day with me. Until next time, this is Prof. Eggers signing out.